Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, Auburn's premier home for student-run radio since 1971. That's over 50 years now. I'm your host, Jack Hart, alongside my color man, Davis Carroll, joined by the incomparable Chris Tobias and the enlivened Daniel Locke. Welcome to the show, guys. We'd also like to welcome in our listeners and viewers from around the Auburn Opelika Megaplex and around the world, however you may be tuning in today, whether that be from your terrestrial radio antenna through the information superhighway at WEGLFM.com, watching our YouTube stream on YouTube, or tuning in after the fact by listening to our podcast or watching us on Eagle Eye TV. We are happy to have you here in the booth with us for Auburn's only student-run drive-time morning show. And with that, we are broadcasting live from the Bradley-based and WEGL studios in the bowels of the Harold Milton Student Center on the campus of Auburn University, where it is a lovely 74 and a little cloudy outside this fine Tuesday morning. It is, of course, Compact Discourse. We are wishing you a most sincere good morning. We hope to be a bright spot on your morning as we get underway. Davis, how are you feeling this fine Tuesday morning? You stay dry on the way in? I did. Uh, It felt good, pretty good. It's supposed to get a little hot today, though, which I'm not looking forward to, but had a good workout earlier. Feeling good. And speaking of workout, I'll throw it over to Mr. Chris Tobias. It is Tuesday, so it is Chris Tobias Day here on Compact Discourse. Chris, how are you feeling this fine Tuesday? hey I'm great. Good to hear. And uh, we'll, we'll kick it over to Daniel as well. Welcome back to the show, Daniel, for your second time on. We are super happy to have you back on the show, and thank you for your enthusiasm in joining us once again. How are you feeling today, Daniel? Thank you, Jack. I'm feeling pretty good. I had a great weekend in Pennsylvania. I'm just trying to get back into the flow of things, but overall, I'm pretty good today. Yeah, and you will did tease that we all took a little trip to Pennsylvania over the weekend, and I'm sure that'll be a major talking point on today's show. So we will get to that in just a little bit. But at this point, I would like to remind our audience that if at any point in the next two hours you feel so inclined to ask us a question, drop a hot take, or any highly unlikely event that we get something wrong, if you want to correct us, you can go ahead and call in at 334-844-WEGL. That's 334-844-9345. You can also shoot us a tweet at cdiscau. That is at C-D-I-S-C-A-U, and I will get back to you on that one, and you can get your opinion on the show. And with that, we'll jump right into the discussion today. I think we might as well start with where we ended yesterday, and that is with Monday Night Football as the Lions took on the Packers, who were reeling after a loss to the Saints last week, and the Lions looking to avoid going 0-2, as they are wont to do. So, Packers come away with a victory in that one. Did you guys have any immediate takeaways from whether or not the Packers needed to press the panic button after they were losing at halftime and in danger of falling to 0-2? What was the big change that led to that blowout victory in Lambeau? Fun game in the first half, and then it got boring. And then the Lions aligned, and Aaron Rodgers remembered that he's good at football. So I, I I don't think that there's anything more to read into it other than Jared Goff is bad and Aaron Rodgers is good. Well, Senior Aaron Jones, as we talked about yesterday, had the game of his life as I was playing against him in fantasy, and I need Robert Tanya to do good and Aaron Jones to do bad. And, you know, the universe just didn't want it. It wasn't in the cards for me. So I'm not very happy with Aaron Jones right now. I'm 0-2 in my fantasy league too, Davis. Don't worry. I'm 1-1 one one, oh, at least. Just me then. <laughs> I, well, we'll talk about fantasy in a minute. So, yeah, the, the Lions lose their fifth straight game against the 
Packers. Aaron Rodgers goes 22 of 27 for 255 yards and four tutties. Aaron Jones has 17 carries for 67 and a touchdown. And then Devontae Adams, uh, is that right? Yes. <laughs> has eight receptions for 121 yards. He's your receiving leader. Over on the Lions side, it was Jared Goff. He was 26 of 36 for 246 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He also lost a fumble, I believe. Uh, Jared Goff was the leading rusher on the Lions as well. He got 46 yards. And then the receiving leader, of course, was TJ Hawkinson, the tight end. He had eight for 66 and a single touchdown. So Lions kept it close, winning at halftime, but absolutely collapsed in the second half, giving up 21 unanswered to the Green Bay Packers, including a couple of untimely turnovers. It was fun. I mean, it was a good. It was hard. It was a tough act to follow after the Sunday night game. I will say that, but it was good to see. It was good to see the Lambeau leap back after a year of it being gone. It was interesting to see the Lions in white pants for the first time, I think, ever. That was cool. Do you notice that? that? I mean, they always wear silver. You know, and is you know what's weird is I wouldn't have even noticed if you didn't point it out last night. I don't know. It just it kind of blended in kind of perfectly. I guess it was just mm-hmm. kind of a the generic white away look. It's not a yeah. It's not a striking team. look, but I did notice it, and I would like to see it with the with the blue shirt at home. I think that be could be interesting. Could be. It looks good. I, with, it looks good when the Panthers do it. So. It would. Well, that's uh, it would look very Panthers e. Jack, what are your thoughts on the the gray Lions uniforms? I don't like them because it's not the same gray as the helmet. That's a fair assessment. It's like the gray the Magic used to wear when they had the sleeved jerseys. Unless you're wearing that shiny Nike material that Florida used to wear, uh, then it's really hard to translate gold or silver into uh, fabric pants. And that's what... Like the Mavs when they had like the satin... When the 49ers wear their gold pants and it really just looks like they're wearing like khaki pleats it's not not a good look <laughs> pleats i know a lot about pleats don't get me started all right i won't <laughs> so moving on uh nfl is kicking off once again this thursday our carolina panthers are going to be playing against the houston texans on thursday We're still not sure who the quarterback is going to be we do for the texans we do it's uh the rookie davis mills yes <laughs> Davis Mills. Okay. Another Davis. As expected, Deshaun Watson is not starting due to uh, controversy around him. The NFL would not be happy if he played. Well, he doesn't. He said he's not going to it anyway. I don't think he has a choice, <laughs> if I'm being honest. But, yeah, we do know who's starting. So this will be his big break and against what is looking like one of, if not the best defense in the league. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Panthers fan. Yeah, as I far mean, as uh, edge rushing and quarterback containment it seemed they put on a show on sunday um daniel saints fan i know you, i know you saw that yeah um i'm just hoping we can bounce back in new england this week but i don't know i, I think we're going to drop that game and more realistically i think we'll bounce back against um the giants and the superdome in two weeks yeah in two weeks so yeah once again this thursday it's going to be the panthers at the texans that one is Going to be at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. Carolina is now favored by 7.5 in that one after the quarterback announcement has been made. If you can get into that one for $18 if you are so inclined. If I know my Panthers, they're going to get blown out on Thursday. <laughs> Primetime games are not our forte. <laughs> doesn't matter who it's against. Nope. It's going to be ugly. But you know what? That's the fun of it. That's why you watch the games. Have you guys been watching uh, 
Peyton and Eli on Monday Night Football with Pat McAfee on ESPN2. It's so good. I love it so much. I saw some clips of it, and it, looked, it was really entertaining. I, I saw Pat McAfee telling the uh, the Red 18 casino story that he's pretty legendary for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't believe that story. I'm not familiar. Wait, uh, so do you want to tell? Or I'm not, we're not going to tell it. Pat no! McAfee tells it better. I'll just send the video to Chris. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I'm a bit co- – is it's a simulcast, so you can watch the game on ESPN2. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, and you said you, you'd enjoyed it, Daniel? Yeah. Um, I like both of those guys. They're they're both really funny. You, know, you get them together, they're just cracking jokes the whole time, making you laugh. It's just really enjoyable. Even, like, during a, a game that's more boring, like, it's just it's fun. Little brotherly love. I can imagine it made the second half a little more watchable. Stop because eating those chips. <laughs> I mean, that's a good video. It's like inside the it's like inside the NBA on TNT for football. Interesting. Football announcers are finally entertaining. You know, paid some people question Greg why, why you're there. even in the Hall of Fame. Greg Olson. <laughs> Greg Olson is entertaining. NFL needs that. NFL needs fun former players that can have a good time and then also give some pretty interesting commentary. You saw how much more entertaining NFL commentary got when Tony Romo got on the mic. Yeah. It was so boring. But then he came and things started to change and now Peyton Manning's retired. Eli's retired. They're actually pretty funny as people. We all remember Peyton Manning's SNL skits. I think it's a travesty that everybody's just moved on from making... No, not travesty. But you remember when everybody just made fun of Tony Romo and now they just forgotten that he was the laughing stock of the league for a while? Tony Romo got a bad rap. He wasn't he even did that get a bad. Ba- I agree he got a bad rap, but everybody was like, this guy's amazing. He's a Hall of Famer. And then like five years ago, they were like, this guy's a bum. He shouldn't start. I don't know who's saying it. Well, it's it's just how sports fans are. You you have one bad game. and it's then how Cowboys is, fans are. how Cowboys fans are, especially. But uh, then boys. I'm not saying Tony Romo didn't have his down games, especially there in the later years, but he also got hurt a lot. I still remember that 2015 Panthers game yeah. where we, we essentially ended his career, and I felt really that was bad. A good, that was Thanksgiving, wasn't it? Yeah, and Luke Keekley just stiffed on stiff He had on two interceptions. Dude. Yeah, I think it was like the second quarter or third quarter where he got hurt, and then the cameraman just stared at Tony Romo's wife while she was crying. I felt so bad eating my – no, I'm not even kidding. Like, the camera held on her for like a solid 45 seconds. I was like, dude, show me literally – go to commercial. What are you doing? I felt so bad. But Tony Romo, he's he's uh, he's a good commentator. He's Tony great. Romo's great. Um, Jason Witten was, was – um, okay. I'm not a big uh, fan of Jason Witten commentating. But yeah, Peyton and Eli were cool. Is is Tom Brady going to be in the booth one day? I hope not. No. I bet he will. I bet he might. I don't know. He might be like, he doesn't need to be, though. I'll be like, Tom, what, it, is, what do you think coffee tastes like? I've never tried it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to go to a quick break. When we get back, Compact Discourse will continue. We're going to talk about a little more sports action and probably our trip up to Pennsylvania. You aren't going to want to miss this. Combat Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about two minutes.
Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Chris Tobias and Daniel Locke. Davis Carroll had to go see a man about a horse, so next man up, it is Alex Houston, the other half of Through the Lens. How are you doing today, Alex? And uh, how's Through the Lens going? Have you recorded an episode this week? I'm doing pretty good, and we recorded uh, our episode on the movie Tenet by Christopher Nolan that was came out last year. It was not as loud as people said. That's that. That's the one spoiler I'll say. I remember when it came out, everyone said they couldn't hear anything. Davis thinks they fixed it in post before they posted on HBO Max. I'm not sure about that, but yeah, it was pretty good. And now we're doing. We're preparing for Indiana Jones next week. I don't know if we're going to talk about the first three or include the fourth one. We'll find out when we get there. But you should. In, I mean, but like. You can't do the Indiana Jones episode without talking about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I think we certainly could do an episode without talking about it. You're racing history. That no, I I don't think it's it's more like just avoiding 15 minutes of wow, this movie really sucks and thanks for joining us on this episode. I Goodbye. think you'll be surprised by what you might find if you watch it again. No, he won't. I <laughs> I have seen that movie so many times and there's no possible way Except the scene when the ants eat all the people. That was, part was cool. When was the last time you watched it? I'll start talking about the Lego sets if you're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last time I watched it, I would say it's probably been about 10 years, honestly. Well, no, it came out like 10 years ago, didn't I'm it? I'm just so. saying. No. I'm just saying. This is not, there's no way that you can actually. Cleanse your palate. Watch it again. There I'm not a- saying it's good. During the break, Chris said it, it, it changed what his favorite Indiana Jones movie was. No, but he didn't I say changed what he it changed from, it too. I, I, no, I did. I said I changed it from Temple of Doom to Raiders again, but I might go back to Temple of Doom. I don't know. So important question, Chris, is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull it out of the t- out of the four? Is it the fourth for you? If it's if it's in the oh yeah, it's okay, the fourth. okay, okay. Like I had to, I had to make sure that it wasn't snubbing Last Crusade or something crazy but was going on there. People like to give it like a two. I think it's like a six. It's got its moments. Yeah, it's dumb, but it's also like, I don't know, they, they, they kind of ditched them. I, I don't want to say realistic, but they kind of ditched the more grounded adventure stuff to kind of cash in on the CGI of the late 2000s, early 2010s, and then the result was mixed. Yeah, then the nuclear refrigerator scene's not the best scene in the world. That's like my favorite scene from the movie, so... But, uh, you know, I think... A Kingdom of the Crystal Skull has its moments. Uh, young Chris Tobias, um, you know, ages six to probably ten, uh, was a big Indiana Jones guy, and uh, I was a big fan of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as a kid. But I was also a kid, so I don't know. Kids' opinions cannot be trusted, is what you're saying. And you, uh, you as a kid, said it was bad. So I'm just saying, keep that energy. Now I know, I know JP friend of the show is a big fan of Tenet. Have you have you discussed this with him? Uh yes, so he uh we talked about it yesterday. I mean, uh he really likes Nolan movies like that that much is He likes to uh, think. Yes. Um <laughs> there's like multiple times we've been in the bullpen he's just put on No Time for Caution from Interstellar uh before and yeah, he said he really liked it, but we're we're planning to have him on for our Lord of the Rings episode whenever that takes place. <gasps> which will be like a 3-hour episode I due think, to the fact I think that those you just movies said, are 10 I think you hours. just said the magic word, Alex. Oh, Chris, do you also want to be on the Lord of the Rings episode? I uh, I would be honored. Well, all guests are welcome, so by all means. Uh, Chris and I listened to the episode about Spider-Man on our way to Pennsylvania, and we really enjoyed it. So, great Thank show. You. Check it out if you haven't already through the lens. Uh, Alex and Davis know their stuff. 
all in all a, a great episode, Alex, but I did have some beef with what one thing you said. Oh, you God. Said that, <laughs> Let's go. Come on. You said that Spider-Man couldn't handle Batman's villains, and I had beef with that. Well, I mean, Dave, first of all, Davis agreed with me. So Davis Yeah, Davis is prone to having bad opinions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, okay. Here, here's it, it. The problem is, is that... That was a joke, Davis. I know you're listening. Is that Spider-Man, to me, is... It depends on the, interpre- the interpretation and version of the character, because... I genuinely do not believe high school age Peter Parker can go toe to toe with the Joker without losing his mind. So I think he could. I mean, I, 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 it de- again, it depends on the the version of him because there are so many different ones. People, young Green Goblin was kind of like a Joker with a glider. Green, uh, old Green Goblin, he kind of put Spider Man through the ringer. And that I was mean, high school Spider. I mean, this is the Joker that made Superman create a dictatorship in one version of the comic books. So, well, yeah, but that's also a different interpretation of the Joker. True. We can mix and match different Batmans and Spider-Mans. That's fair. And that's fair. In, in that case, you know, oh, year one Batman. I don't know how he's holding up against a symbiote. You know, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. <laughs> you were we, about to say no. No, because we, we, <laughs> we. I believe we did say Venom would give Batman the uh, most difficult. Uh, fight if uh, between all of them all the spider-man's villains that is i think that all the sense. all the mainstream ones probably yeah at least that's what i, I wouldn't say. count like carnage and stuff as a mainstream spider-man villain yeah that's fair that i wouldn't either but all I right mean, the nerds hijacked my show again all right <laughs> you introduced the discussion Jimmy. i just, your fault i was trying to help you out alex all oh right my gosh so uh that was a that was a great segue i had that we listened to it on the way to pennsylvania and we did go to pennsylvania chris and i we drove up to pennsylvania on Friday slash Saturday, went to the game on Saturday, and drove home from Pennsylvania on Sunday. So we had a, a rip-roaring weekend uh, seeing the country by uh, the way the way Eisenhower intended it on the United States interstate system. Daniel, did you did you drive or did you fly? Um, I flew, but the drive from Philadelphia to State College is one of the most beautiful drives and like most beautiful scenery that I've ever seen. Like I was not expecting that and I was really, really pleasantly surprised. Kind of brought us back to the connection of uh, old colonial America. It was a pretty sick drive, especially Jack and I stayed in George Washington's house. <laughs> George really? Washington's headquarters in the 1790s. Yeah, what was the name of the town? Bedford, Pennsylvania. That's Bedf- about an hour south of State College where we stayed. Um, <laughs> I believe we stayed in uh, it was it was pitched as the site. Uh, it was George Washington's headquarters during the Whiskey Rebellion of 1796. Yeah, so seeing old and whether old that America. whether that's true or just to sell like decorative plates, I I choose to believe it's true. I, I mean I don't Kool-Aid. doubt it. <laughs> I, I mean I wouldn't doubt it. So that was great. Um, so um, as far as Daniel, did you do any tailgating on Saturday? Um, we didn't, but. Everyone was so friendly, and multiple tailgaters that we walked by asked us if we wanted something to eat. And uh, my dad and I stopped and grabbed a bite on the way in, so we didn't take him up on it. But just the friendly culture, like I understand why they call it Happy Valley. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think that may come from the fact that it was like a you know a once-ever opportunity for Auburn to come up to uh, Penn State and play in Beaver Stadium, which... I must say this p- this point was brought up yesterday on the show, but I those these non-conference games to start the season I think should never be at neutral site ever again because you, seeing the great college campuses of of the country is such a treat that I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't want to 
you know, go to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That was a conversation that started in the middle of the game. I know you guys had bad cell reception throughout, but like throughout the middle of the game and afterwards, there was a lot of do away with the neutral side game because there are the traditional neutral sides. Like I think Army and Navy playing at different locations in the Northeast is excellent. I think Texas and Oklahoma playing at the Cotton Bowl also perfectly fine. Yeah, those are great. Like Alabama playing Miami in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. No reason it, for that. Exactly. They exactly. may as well move there. They play three or four. <laughs> they play two games there a year. I mean, I mean, exactly. And I think, I think it. You know, I mean, getting a game in Miami, or you know, or even like just. I, I think I agree in the fact that I think the neutral site games is not what's fun about college football. Half of the battle with college football is the environment. That's half the selling point. That's what makes it different than the NFL because the NFL is so docile by comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Like, like Auburn and Clemson playing each other at Clemson and Auburn back in 2016 and 2017 was awesome because those were two incredible games, very highly contested games, with two very incredible crowds, including Auburn's when they nearly beat Clemson, who went on to win the national championship that year. So I think I do agree that the neutral site games need to be done away with completely for those opening season games because traveling to those different environments is so much more fun. I'm and just, just yeah, enjoyable. picturing all the, like, Places we could have gone in the past 10, 15 years. Like, what if we got to go up to Washington? Yeah, that's that that exactly. So, exactly. Husky Stadium. Super and, cool. And, like, you know, those lower tier teams that get to play Bama, what if they get to pull off the upset at, like, what if Virginia Tech, they played like in 2011, played at Lane Stadium and they happen to get that win? That would have been an, inc- an incredible moment because Lane Stadium is one of the best environments in college yeah. football. I'm a big Metallica guy. So to see them yeah. get, yeah. get inter-Sandman would have been epic. Exactly. But instead it was played at the Superdome in New Orleans. And nobody, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was just nothing. And I, I really think that. It, it just—I don't know why they do neutral side because it doesn't seem like it makes them that much more money. It may have been fun at one point, but if you're if you're a Bama fan, you're so tired of Miami, yeah. or not, not Miami, Atlanta and Dallas. Like, I wouldn't ever want to go there again. Yeah, I, I also just Beaver Stadium was one of the coolest environments. Like the Whiteout game has a reputation for a reason. That was so cool watching all the fans down there because uh, we were up in the nosebleeds, so we had a good bird's eye view of everything. But the a whiteout game is something I think everyone should experience after that. That was one of the coolest things. I was saying to my dad before kickoff, like, oh, I forgot about the football. Like, yeah, exactly. I was like, I was so enthralled by I mean, the crowd. We got in the stadium two hours before kick and just watched everything. I mean, we were, you know, 400 feet up in the air, so we could see, you know, mountains and the moon rose over the stadium. Oh, it was, it was so cool. cool. Absolutely phenomenal environment. And, and you know, like Daniel was saying, everybody was so nice. I'll be graduated by 2023, but I'm I'm already planning on going over to Cal I'm when so we're playing excited. our we're playing our away game there. That's gonna be real. That's gonna be really cool. That How, will. When's the last time we were on the West Coast? Uh, honestly, the national championship. I mean, but like legitimately for regular okay. season play. But like, yeah, 2003. Like, actually, so I think when they traveled to play USC, USC. Mm-hmm. or 2002 is when I don't know they traveled to play. U- they played a series with USC then. And I legitimately think that was the last time they went over there for anything other than a bowl game. There's no reason that you ha- should have to wait a whole generation to play in like the Pac-12 or Big Ten. Or a yeah. whole decade. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I will say, I think the college ball playoff is solving this problem in some capacity. With the expansion, people say it's devaluing the regular season. It doesn't do that. It just makes it to where Auburn will have more incentive not to play Akron, Alabama State, and Georgia State. Mm-hmm. They'll yeah. have more incentive to play two of those and then play Penn State and play another team. We and should I think play Ohio State. I mean, this year I'd, I'd actually like to play Ohio State, but maybe not every other year. I don't know. So but I have a pitch for you guys. Instead of playing three cupcakes, 
what if you had like one game like Akron or Alabama State, and then your other two you played a lower tier Power Five team, such as like Boston College or Wake Forest or something like that? I would love that. Yeah, I I mean I'm completely fine with that because in reality Auburn should beat those types of teams, but one it gives those teams opportunities, which is another great thing for just enhancing college football in general. That's why Auburn tends to play an Alabama FCS school like that's what they've done in the past to sort of reinvest and Harson talked about that but yeah I mean I think that's great because then you know Boston College has a really cool stadium up north and yeah, yeah just my friend uh, ran track up there so I, I've I've seen some images and whatnot of Boston College I think that'd been a cool place to go to yeah just guys being dudes all right we're gonna head to a quick break and when we come back we're gonna keep talking about our trip up to Pennsylvania. There's still a lot to get to, so you don't want to miss it. I got Chris Tobias, Daniel Locke, and Alex Houston sitting with me. I'm Jack Hart. As always, you're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. We'll be back in about two minutes after this PSA break, so don't go anywhere. Keep that dial right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston, Chris Tobias, and Daniel Locke. We're talking about our trip to Penn State over the weekend. So we talked about the game yesterday, so if you missed that, go ahead and check out our podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I just look it up on Spotify, Compact Discourse. Look for that blue and orange CD logo, and you can listen to any of our previous episodes. Absolutely, PSA break free on your podcast player of choice. All right, so we broke down the game yesterday, but we are now breaking down the game day experience, which I thought was pretty unbelievable. All the way from driving into State College, seeing beautiful scenery, State College itself being just a picturesque uh, northeastern campus, and the tailgating scene was completely unique from anything I'd ever experienced at an SEC school, and the game itself, or the game day experience inside the stadium was completely unique as well. They do things a little differently in the Big Ten, and it was super interesting to see how all that shook out. So anything stand out to you, Daniel, like most striking difference between that and an SEC-type game? One of the biggest things, or this is just about the stadium in general, is just how unsymmetric Beaver Stadium is. I just felt like that was really interesting, how – on one end zone, you have three tiers. On the other, you have two. I think on the, the sidelines, one um, side of the stadium was a little higher than the other. Just stuff that you don't really see um, stadium architecture like that in the SEC. And I just thought that was really cool to see. And um, that's the best game day atmosphere that I've been a part of so far. It was, as a capacity of, like, what was it, 110,000 people? It, it's a, it's billed as 107, but the announced attendance was 109 the night we went. Where I, do you put those people, like those extra people? Well, so I think it's the, it's the student section thing. It's like I'm sure Auburn probably has games where they're over when they overbook the student section. They just li- always list it as a sellout when they know it's a sellout. Yeah, we have we can, we can I think on paper Jordan Hare can hold like 86, 87,000, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we've had games where there's been over 90,000 people in the stadium. Yeah, I would like I would bet on like I heard about the Clemson game in 2016 where they they didn't split it like traditionally the Iron Bowl and stuff and that game like apparently in the student section you had to stand like with your feet pe- like 
parallel to the bleachers because everybody was sandwiched together. So, and what's crazy is that at um, Happy Valley Beaver Stadium, the announced attendance was like over a hundred nine thousand, and then in the nosebleeds, you could still see that there was available seating at least across from us, and even on our side, like way up high there were still places where you could squeeze like a, a couple dozen, maybe a couple hundred more people, which is crazy because there was a lot. That stadium was packed. Yeah, it very much depends on what like, because like the Big Ten is one conference where they almost exclusively will just have a listed, but the like Michigan always goes over. And I know the Swamp does it as well, but like Alabama and Auburn, if they are at capacity, they'll just list it even though they're very likely over it. So, so yeah, one of the biggest things I noticed about – Penn State's campus that was different from Auburn is that the game day atmosphere is not really on campus. Uh, we we walked in uh, from the from the west side of campus and we went to Old Main, which is effectively Penn State's equivalent of Sanford Hall. If you watch game day, it was the big building in the background with the columns and the clock tower, and it was pretty pretty desolate. I mean, they were cleaning up game day. There were a couple of Auburn fans there taking pictures, and we were wondering, you know, where everybody was. So we went in the student center and. All things considered, it was pretty empty for a game day. So I was wondering, you know, does this thing not get kicked off until later? It was like 2 p.m. at that point. So I was wondering where everybody was. And then <laughs> we, we crossed the threshold, crossed the street, passed the ice hockey arena, and then... Unreal. A, an absolute sea of tents, flags, cars, people, white shirts for miles in every direction just on empty fields. It was just an NFL-style tailgate, folks. I... Had never seen anything like it. We, we drove in, and on both sides, in both directions, fields stretching as far as you could see of people with their literal tailgates open and pop-up tents and flags just having all kinds of fun out on these, these farmland fields. And it was a something I did not expect. I did no research beforehand, so I was not expecting this, but it was an unbelievable spectacle. It was a lot of fun, too. They, people in Penn State know how to have fun. And then you get some pretty friendly pregame banter. Nothing nothing unkind, you know, like you might expect from certain SEC locations. It was all friendly banter that was fun. The whole experience was fun. Big so fan we, of Penn State now. Yeah, um, we were actually with Jacob Hillman. He invited us over to uh, – he was with a, at a tailgate with – he's the president of Auburn Student Section, so – he had linked up with the president of the Penn State student section, and we were very graciously hosted by them to uh, hang out at one of these awesome tailgate fields. And, you know, it looked a lot like Auburn. It looked a lot like Wire Road. There were, there were barns. There were tractors. There were uh, was grain silos, um, all, in, all in the midst of things. And we were able to, you know, share some good, good food and good fun with the people of Penn State. And we, we ended up talking to those guys for – two, three hours before the games, just swapping stories, sharing experiences, talking about exactly what we're talking about right now, about what's the same, what's different between Penn State and Auburn. And it was uh, super cool. A, that's like my favorite thing about traveling is just talking to people and talking about what's the same and what's different. One thing that really stuck out to me is after the game, one of the there was a group of Penn State students who were walking by, and this kid said in the thickest Pennsylvania accent I've ever heard, I'm not even going to try to imitate, but he said, Look at all those losers. And his friends were telling him to knock it off. Like, you would not see that in SEC school. They were like... They'd be ruthless. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, a good, that's a good point. Yeah, they were really friendly. Yeah, I will say that after the game, you know, plenty of safe trip back, 
Great game. War Eagles. War Eagles. It was, wow. it was awesome. What's funny is that um, what I noticed is that his, like historically and then even in the modern college football space, Penn State is literally like the Auburn of the Big Ten, which I never noticed. Like Historically, they're considered one of the better teams all time, I guess, for at least where, where they are at. Um, they have, a, a, I guess, a formidable foe. In within their division, and who's then, the juggernaut? Yeah, well, uh, they have Ohio State and Michigan that they always go up against, and that's kind of like our Alabama and Georgia. And then um, they do well, but then they usually falter in the bigger games, which which is unfortunate. But I felt that there was a, a connection between Penn State and Auburn. They're that, both in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that too. It looked a lot like Auburn once you. Uh, once you got away from the campus, yeah, that a lot of a lot of people were getting uh, critical of the uh, signs at game day saying uh, "Go Penn State." At least I don't have to live in Alabama, and everyone's like, "You live in do you? You look live at where in you're at." You live do in, not see. Yeah, I, I've also of, often affectionately heard the space between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia referred to as Pennsylvania, <laughs> and uh, I asked somebody about Is that it, a local. Yeah, I, I asked um, the guy we were hanging out with at the tailgate if that was real, and he said, "Oh yeah, it's Pennsylvania." That's pretty funny. So, I've never uh, heard that before. So yeah, um, it 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 un unlikely unlikely pairings between these two schools, but uh, it it seemed to be a, a very similar situation out in State College. But as far as the campus, did were you able to walk around the campus and see into the buildings, Daniel? Yeah, we um we went to the student center mainly just to compare. Um, we walked over to Old Main, like you were um talking about. And I walked into the, I'm a human sciences major here, so I walked into their human sciences building just to kind of check it out. And uh, I was really impressed. Theirs is definitely a lot newer than ours. Spidal is uh, looking pretty rough these days. <laughs> but, yeah, I was so impressed. Their, uh, their college radio station, too, we, we were able to sneak by there. It's a bit smaller in size, at least, this, at least the studio is, but it was a pretty nice setup. Yeah, the Penn State Student Center Reminds me a lot of the Wright Student Union in Florida, where I mean, it looks a lot like an airport or a mall. You know, you got your your front-facing subway counters and uh, your columns and your your big bathrooms and your atrium ceilings and the white tile floors. So it reminded me a lot of a Florida Student Union, which I guess is what the the newer ones are, are looking like now. But uh, something that's super cool about Penn State's radio station is that they have a a glass window to the studio that looks out on the main concourse. So if you can imagine, you know, next to the Chick-fil-A here in our student center, if there was a, a window where you could look right into the studio. And that was super cool. So it was uh, super cool just to see how, how other people do things. Yeah. Um, also, Daniel, you mentioned uh, how you like the stadium. Are you? Uh, has anybody seen the new planned renovations for it? Because apparently they're going to completely uh, change Beaver Stadium. You can Google it right now. I was wondering really? what you guys thought because you guys have – been to it. I've only seen pictures of it, but you guys have been there, and I was wondering what you thought. I don't know what they would change. Are they no, like, adding dramatically? More seats? You should like just. It's kind of a you have to see it to really understand. Is it going to be like Soldier Field, where they just landed a flying saucer on top of it? It very well might be. Um, something that was great about the fact that we were at, basically at the extreme top of the stadium is that when things got raucous, uh, this the the stadium began to shake. In yes, a, in a way that nearly. Knocked me off the bleachers a number of times. I gotta say the there's something I don't know if 
this is intentional, if this was the bleachers or what, but something I have not experienced um, at Jordan-Hare, and that's no knock on Auburn. Obviously, we have an amazing environment, but I'd never felt it to this degree. When the whole stadium was cheering, we were literally shaking. It was like the, there was an earthquake in the building, and when Auburn would score and everyone was jumping up and down, maybe it's because the bleachers are older or something, but I was literally getting like a foot off the ground because we were bouncing up and down so high. The stadium was just shaking. It was amazing. I have a theory as to why that was happening, but I don't know. I just feel like, well, because theirs is made of metal by comparison to where Auburn is like solid concrete because like Penn State's is all just like, it's like the uh, Fair point. The end zone with the small scoreboard yes. for Auburn. And which like, that's looks all, very similar. That's all of what Penn State is, which I mean, that sounds awesome. And yeah, Beaver Stadium has been in the same spot since 1920-ish. Yeah same situation as Auburn and they've just continually added to it with with these metal struts. Yeah. So I think it it was a it was a it was a interesting change of pace and I really enjoyed uh it, it was pitched to me that the stadium was going to shake and I was like, oh, "Okay. You know, I I got it." But then when it started shaking and I had to hold onto Chris's shoulder to prevent from being launched into the next row, it was pretty intense. That's awesome. All right, so we're going to head to a quick PSA break. When we get back, we're going to continue talking about our trip up to Penn State. There's still a lot to get to, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Good morning, Auburn, and welcome into the show. I'm your host, as always, Jack Hart, joined alongside Chris DeBias, Daniel Locke, and Alex Houston. Let's jump right into your Auburn, Alabama weather report. Right now it is 76 degrees, partly cloudy, with a 24% chance of rain in the next hour. This morning there is a 10% chance of rain overall. This afternoon, that chance increases to 34 degrees, and we are going to get some sun as that temperature climbs up to around 82 degrees. Your overnight temperature is going to be 72 tonight with some scattered thunderstorms, a 30% chance of rain over the weekend, or over the night, rather. And then the rain continues across the country. That band of storms we saw yesterday has moved on, but another one has presented itself. So all the way from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan down to Little Rock, Arkansas. There is a big band of rain making its way west to east across the country. So check that radar and plan accordingly if you are making your way out to work or campus today for whatever reason. Pack that rain jacket and pack that umbrella if you haven't already. All right, let's jump back right into things. I got Daniel, I got Alex, I got Chris. Uh, Chris and Daniel and myself made the trip up to Penn State to watch the Auburn Tigers, unfortunately, fall just short on Saturday evening. Uh, I know Chris and Daniel were not on the show yesterday when we talked about the game, so maybe we could get their thoughts on how the game went as far as what this new team looks like in the first like real test we've seen at the season. So maybe we could get their thoughts on that. And if you have some thoughts on how the game went this weekend or if you went up to Pennsylvania and want to share a story about that, you can call into the show at 334-844-9345. That's 334-844-WEGL. Or you can tweet at me at C-D-I-S-C-A-U, and we would love to have your voice on the show. All right, Chris, 
the game? Um, I think we could have won. I'm not saying we should have won uh, because our secondary was – there was a lot of issues with it. I mean, the the easy talking points, I think, are, you know, Bo Nix, what was up with his throwing, um, defense. Defense actually did pretty good, but I think that the offense is the easiest one to criticize, but it's the different parts of the offense I have issues with. I had less problems with Bo Nix, believe it or not. I think he played fine, especially for Happy Valley. There were a few plays that unfortunately uh, went awry, but my biggest issue is actually with the receivers. Um, there was just something about them that they they weren't catching balls like they were supposed to. They were losing it in the air. Um, one thing that I wouldn't have noticed if I was watching from home, but their blocking was particularly bad uh, on a lot of those screens. They were just kind of letting the Penn State players blow past them and just blow up the play. Uh, so I had a lot of issues with that. And then, again, the secondary. Jack brought up the fact that Smoke Monday wasn't really playing to his usual level, um, which I think is also a good point. But the whole secondary was just leaving dudes wide open. I don't know if it's because they were in coverage and they weren't adjusting to the fact that the Penn State QB was just blowing them up. But anytime we got pressure on him, he would panic, except for the the first touchdown they scored. But we never got pressure on them. So the D-line was also a huge issue. And then, of course, that fumble to start the second half. I think that that was the turning point. That You could point to that play specifically. I think we would have won if that fumble didn't happen. But, um, I don't know, we could have won. Not saying we should have won, but it, it kind of hurts a little bit to think about it. I thought we threw the ball too much. You have two stud halfbacks in the backfield between um, Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby. We were doing great. Both of them ran really, really solidly the whole game. And I sh- there's no reason to throw 37 times. I'm not against us throwing. I think that throwing is the future of football. I think we, we see it in the NFL and we see it in more successful college teams. My issue is when the run is working, why stop it? That fourth and one call where they did the fade to the end zone instead of Tank Bigsby running up the middle, it was less than a yard, and they were – they were not stopping us on the ground. Like, uh, I could, you could have put me in the backfield, and I could have probably walked for like four, a four or five yard gain. And then we get to fourth and one, and we don't give it to arguably the best back in SEC football. Uh, that I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know what that call was. I don't know what the decision was there, but it it paid. Uh, it made it was an unfortunate decision. The only thing I can think of is maybe that was Mike Bobo saying, "Hey, they're expecting <laughs> us to run with Tank. Let's try to throw him off guard." But Apparently, according to Bo Nix, he said that he had multiple options on that play, and he was the one that decided to go with the fade. I don't know if he's taking uh, taking the heat for it, if or if that is genuine. But um, if that's the case, then that's just that's on him to use more, I guess, awareness of what's going on with the defense. I get the idea, but, I mean, I could have told you that wasn't going to work. Yeah, so the three of us were at the game, so it was kind of hard for us to follow along and obviously impossible for us to watch the TV broadcast. So I'll ask Alex kind of what the vibe was. Was was there a lot of focus on the refereeing, the play calling? What was the the vibe from Internet land? um, Well, Internet land was chaos because here's the thing is, so I'm watching the game, right, and I'm watching. It's me and my roommates are all watching. We had a couple friends over as well. And 
I the first thing is I watch Penn State punt on third down, and I'm thinking that was third down. Nobody reacts. I'm like my roommate's trying to talk to me, but I'm like trying to figure out what the heck just happened, and nobody said anything. Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit didn't say anything, and Twitter didn't say anything. You know, Justin Ferguson, uh, who was covering it, tweeted, "Oh, they they punted. Auburn gets the ball back uh, with eight something left in the second or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever time it was. I don't remember." Um, and I, I'm kind of wondering. And then it all blows up like that. Like, everybody's like, wait a minute, what just happened? And then the worst part was the fact that Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler did a segment on it every quarter for the rest of the game, which was ridiculous. Because at a certain point, you know it. And the fact is, the officiating sucked regardless for every side of it. It wasn't just one bad thing or another. What were they saying about the Zacoby McLean uh, targeting call out? Oh, well, so they brought in uh, Bill Lamontier, who's the uh, college football rules analyst. He's like Mike Pereira for uh, college football. And he was like, by the letter of the rule, once he goes near the ground, he is deemed defenseless, which, of course, Herbstreet, who is a player, who who was a player, and is very rarely – he doesn't he doesn't necessarily criticize officiating but he's also like he has that perspective of the well if I was a player that would be dumb he was like I don't know about that one because again he was reaching for the end zone and he probably would have scored if McLean didn't hit him that's the reality of the situation McLean tweeted so I'm supposed to just let him score well yeah so that's the thing is he initially tweeted an apology and then two hours later realized wait a minute why would I tweet an apology it's a stupid rule which it is but I I can get into that another time so but I think this brings up a good point um because as far as officiating goes, I don't know what I don't know what college football needs to do to make officiating better. But we see in ev- like basically every primetime game now, there's a handful of controversial calls that are always bring a huge discourse to Twitter, internet, or whatever. Uh, and this game was no exception. Um, the big one you were saying was the third down, but I think that that is actually a problem with uh, Beaver Stadium because. We were we've been talking about how great Beaver Stadium is and how great Penn State is, but my biggest criticism with it, the on-field announcer and then even the scoreboard management was subpar to say the least. Because I noticed it on that third down, the reason Penn State punted on third down is because the board went from second to then third, then jumped to fourth and eleven. So it skipped. It showed the third down, but then immediately skipped the fourth realized what they had done, and then in the middle of the play, they brought it back down to third. So that that was something, I don't know what the scoreboard, who who manages that, what was going on there, but that was an issue. And then the announcer in-game, he just kept making mistakes on where the ball was or what the call was on the field. So you had to kind of drown him out and actually look and kind of, you know, focus in yourself. And, he you know, he'd say, it's like, oh, it's on the Auburn 47, excuse me. Uh, it's at the 50, and I'm like, how do you even mess that up? Yeah, you know? there was a lot of criticism for that guy on uh, on uh, Twitter. A couple people were like, wait, is he going to talk every play? And apparently some people said he was basically running play-by-play for the game <laughs> over the loud PA announcement, which, which, like, that's kind of been, like, like even the iconic Michigan, like, time when Michigan had to call him on the first play, like, he's blaring up until about, um, he does this whole intro form, and then they blast music the whole way. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of his thing, as far as I know. But I mean, I think in terms of officiating, the issue is, you know, you have an automatic ejection for what is not a malicious hit on a player, but there are no repercussions for being bad at your job if you're an official. You get fined for in the NFL. You get fined for every manner of taunting or unnecessary roughness or a big hit on a quarterback. But an official can be horrible at their job, and they'll be back the next week without it. And it's not to say that you should 
fire a guy for doing bad for doing messing making a mistake, especially in one game. It's one game, right? But the idea is there was there's not going to be any repercussion for that crew as far as we've seen. The SEC releases a report saying, "Oops, they messed up." Like you guys were at the games, you did not see the Mississippi State Memphis thing live. I saw that I saw insane. that this morning. Yeah, my my roommate and I watched it live. And we're like, the ref spotted the ball. He he yeah. threw down the piece of whatever they do, and he spotted the ball, and then. Of course, all of the I think it was um it was Mississippi State because Memphis returned it. All the Memphis players are looking at the ref like, "What am I supposed to do?" And the SC released a report saying, "Oh, oops, my bad." And, uh, but there's no, there's not really anything to fix it. And not, I also think the rule of targeting making an automatic ejection is absurd. But I'm, that's yeah. I'm sure a Penn State fan can point out the bad calls against them, but just because I'm an Auburn fan, the two plays that immediately come to mind to me are a pretty horrendously called missed safety. I mean, the Penn State running back was like a full yard in the end zone, and they spotted it like right on the goal line. That was horrible. The next call was a passing interference. That was um, that was a good call. I mean, Auburn cornerback pretty horrendously smothered up the receiver. But that fourth and one fade, uh, I think that that was also a pretty horrendously missed call. I mean, the cornerback for Penn State just dragged the Auburn receiver to the ground, and I'm not saying he that he would have caught it because Bo Nix just kind of, you know, said a prayer and threw it in the general direction. But the fact that he can basically drag the receiver down right at the line of scrimmage and not get a call was, was I think, pretty heinous as far as officiating goes. I'm going to be honest. I disagree with both of those in regards to the safety. The, the official rule is that it's much like the inverse of a touchdown. The ball just has to be reaching in any part over the line. That's the thing. It, it did it, not. It was, though. I, 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 like, I watched the clip, and it's barely. He was, in fact, nearly tackled in the end zone, and that's true. But just at the last moment, he stretched it out, and right when his knee hit the ground. And as for the pass interference one on the fade, the fact is the ball was was thrown into the third row of the stadium, and additionally they were both hand-fighting. Refs don't tend to call penalties on fade routes because it gets very physical on fade routes. They just say, hey, let it happen. Like That's fair. Like the cra- remember, You remember um the end of the Ravens 49ers Super Bowl, if anybody remembers that. Kaepernick threw a fade to Crabtree, and that was the last play, which mm. everybody thought was so stupid because they had Kaepernick and Frank Gore to run the football, and... That one, Kaepernick airmailed it, and Crabtree and the cornerback both were basically grabbing each other the whole way. They tend to let those play out traditionally just because it's the idea of, all right, if you're both going to try hand-fighting, then go ahead. And I, I thought in, in the regards to the fade, it looked like they both grabbed each other because I think Hudson was trying to get a foul call, and the guy was trying to make sure he didn't get, you know, he didn't get the ball. So I think in that regard, they just kind of both. But, I mean, I just think overall the officiating was bad on all sides. I think – yeah, I just I think there were a lot of missed calls for everybody. I think the intentional grounding on what was a miscommunication was ridiculous. Like I was certainly happy that Auburn got that penalty against Penn State, but like that has never been called ever. Like they normally just give them the benefit of the doubt. They thought their receiver was going to be here. It wasn't, but we, they called it anyway. We could probably talk about that after the break, but I have oh, some yeah. thoughts about that too. All right, so we still have a lot to get to here on Compact Discourse. Obviously, as the con- conversation continues about Auburn versus Penn State. Still a lot to get to here, so join us for the second half of the show. We'll be back in about five minutes after a PSA break. I'm Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston, Chris Tobias, and Daniel Locke. We're talking Auburn and Penn State in the second hour, plus a lot more to get to, including college football, our trip to Penn State, and some MLB action that is heating up as September rolls on. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about five minutes.
Welcome back to Compact Discourse for the second hour of the show. Excuse me. Welcome back to the second hour of the show. Enjoying my protein shake over here. Uh, it is 9.06 in the morning. And we were having a good time here in the booth. I got Alex Houston. I got Chris Tobias. I got Daniel Locke. Joining me on the show today, we're talking all things Auburn and Penn State. And uh, before we hit the break, we were talking a little bit about the officiating. So I reckon we'll continue that line of discourse. But I want to remind you that if you would like to call into the show, 334-844-9345, if you've got something to say about the game, and I know you do, so go ahead and give us a ring. Um, I'll throw it back to Chris because I know he's got he's got a lot to say about this mi- this mat this matter. Well, before I, I go on my mini rant about what uh, the intentional grounding call that Alex brought up, do you have anything that you want to say about the officiating or anything, Daniel? It's just unacceptable. Like this is the marquee matchup for the week, and to put arguably your worst officials on it. So is the rule since it was, are those Big Ten officials? SEC so, officials, actually. I thought it was it like a <laughs> who would have guessed SEC officials, but like a Big Ten chain. No, game? no, it was it was S- okay. SEC officials. The whole it was SEC crew is what they had all the said. way down to to video review. That's what they had said. I I, I it wasn't very clear. That just to be doesn't honest. make much sense. Like it's SEC a Big Ten refs. stadium, but I don't know. So the the reason is you traditionally in big non con matchups between two teams from big conferences, you will not put a same conference, you will not give the home team their crew. Like, Big Ten crew will probably be at Auburn-Penn State next year because the idea is you just don't really do that. Like, um, that's just what they've done in the past. It doesn't make any sense. In reality, I didn't think the crew was biased. I just think they weren't good. Yeah, that's yeah my I'm opinion. not saying they They just were bad at their jobs. Yeah, exactly. Now, Chris, your, your mini rant, as so, you said. Yeah, so SEC uh, officials, once again, living up to their – beautiful outstanding reputation but uh a call that i think people had problems with that i didn't have as much of a problem with um i guess but i'll get into that right now so alex brought up the intentional grounding and here's why i don't have an issue with that with that call um being 400 feet up we were able to see the whole field i think that it was um an issue with communication on Penn State side because the receiver that he intended to throw to it looked like he did kind of like uh you know he ran out 10 yards and then turned around came back I wonder if the quarterback thought that he was just gonna send it and go all the way down the field because what where the Penn State quarterback threw it there was not a receiver within 20 yard like a 20 yard radius like it was a pretty blatantly uh, a pretty blatant miscommunication or just a Hail Mary throw to get past the safety or something. But I think that that was a good call uh, on that intentional grounding just because there was no receiver in the area. And then um, whatever that Penn State receiver was doing, if he thought it was a different play call or what. But I bring up that, and I think that it's fair to then bring up the, I guess, missed intentional grounding, if you want to say, against Bo Nix later in the game. Uh, a similar play, Bo Nix kind of threw it up towards the middle of the field again uh, on a deep pass, but this one was not called an intentional grounding, and I think that that was because there was an Auburn receiver within 10 yards. So then that argument you can be that you brought up that uh, the benefit of the doubt can be put into play applied to the Auburn 
missed intentional grounding, I guess, versus the Penn State's actual called intent, intentional grounding. Yeah, I just think immediately afterwards they had the rules expert on there, and the idea is traditionally refs do not call that because they know that it just was a mess up in the route running because it's not because there he was not pressured at all, and the Bo Nix one that was also the refs made the wrong call at the field, which was why everyone at Penn State got angry because they said Bo was still outside the pocket, which is why it was okay to throw it. When in reality, on the intentional grounding call, it was because there was a receiver. They just made the wrong justification for it, which I, I thought was weird. And well, Bo Nix did scramble on that play, yeah, but, but I don't think he was outside yeah, exactly. of the offensive line's he reach. He wasn't, but that's, what the, that's the official's justification, which was incorrect. The reality was he had a receiver in the area, but... Yeah, it was just a difficult night for that officiating crew, I think is the best way to describe it. All in all, uh, I think the play calls canceled out and the um, missed opportunities also canceled out. Uh, Drop pick six by the Penn State cornerback, uh, followed by a few Auburn missed opportunities uh, and a few bad calls on both sides. So if there's any positive, it's that the bad calls were on both sides. It's just we lost, so... That's kind of on us. That's definitely on us. I will say there was something that um, you guys, you mentioned this way earlier, but as we move away from the officiating was the idea how, Daniel, you said you didn't like how much Auburn passed the football. Correct. And Chris, you said basically the opposite where you said, you know, that's where the league is. That's where football is going essentially. So you don't have a problem with it. You always see the good teams throwing bombs and intermediate passes and they still effectively run the ball, which I think we can do. We rely too much on, I got a big issue with like this, I call it the 1950s I'm mindset of just slamming it up the middle and then only chucking it when you have to. I think a well-balanced pass and then uh, run team is the most successful. I'd say 55 to 60% passes versus 45 to 40% runs is the best type of team. I, I honestly, I disagree with that because I think this is a similar argument that was made back in 2013 because in 2013, everybody was convinced that Auburn could not be one-dimensional or they would lose a game. Everybody said that they wouldn't win the Iron Bowl in 2013 because they believed Auburn, like even, even when uh, Charles Barkley picked Auburn, he said he believed it would be because Auburn proved they were not one-dimensional and Nick Marshall would pass it. Nick Marshall had 87 yards, 35 of which came on the Sammy Coates touchdown pass with 30 seconds to go. The fact is, Auburn was able to run the ball down Bama's throat the entire game and win the game because of it. And even against Florida State, it was still running the football. I think the argument is the idea that people think running shouldn't work, which means they shouldn't do it. But if it works, it works. And I I don't think there should ever be a game where Bo Nix is throwing it 37 times, to be honest. I don't think it should ever go over 30 unless they need to. But at that point, if you've got Shivers, Hunter, and Bigsby, why are you not running it 40 times with them? Because if it works, it works. Right. Like, the good teams, a lot of the modern offenses do, in fact, throw the ball a lot, but that just more coincides with the fact that they're good teams in general. Like, Alabama in 2012 was it was the best team in the nation, and they did not throw the ball. Eddie Lacy ran the ball a lot, and even in 2015, it was Derrick Henry winning the Heisman while Jacob Coker just sort of sat there and threw, like, a, a, an occasional slant to our Darius Stewart and called it a day. Yeah, but so what's I mean, Bama doing now every year since? Ever, every year since Derrick Henry, what have they been doing? They've I mean, they, they, they themselves adapted because of the recruits that they got, not because they thought, oh, yes, we need to adapt. Because they still won a national championship with Derrick Henry at, at the helm. Well, that's what I'm saying. They, they've shown they can continue to win because Nick Saban knows how to adjust to play to his players' strengths. I'm saying that... Auburn is so fixated on keeping this like tradition of we're a running team that I don't know why 
I think that Bo Nix personally has proven that on the intermediate pass, he is throwing dimes. On his deep pass, his deep pass is questionable. Uh, but on the short and intermediate passes when he needs to, I, the, the Kentucky game from last year comes to mind um, where he was just slinging dots and receivers were just dropping it, in, including, um, oh, my God, why am I drawing a blank? Seth Williams. Seth Williams, yes. Yeah, Seth Williams had a down year last year. But I remember that that game comes to mind. Uh, I think even this last week that he was throwing good passes when they weren't, you know, past 20 yards. I think that he was – He's accurate on the intermediate ball, and I don't know why we don't do it more. I think that he has good anticipation on on certain intermediate passes. On the short passes, he's good. Um, And then that also opens up the deep ball more so he's not throwing it into double coverage every time. And then that also opens up for an amazing power back like Tank Bigsby. Not even just a power back. Tank Bigsby is a power back and also a a, a very loose kind of like runner, like Christian McCaffrey-esque where he's breaking tackles but he can also just slam it down someone like a Derrick Henry. Well, I don't think Auburn is necessarily stuck on this mentality of having to run the football. I think it's the reality of what the team is at because the receivers are not any good. Their receiving core is probably the worst it's been since 2012, legitimately. I think that's fair. It's the fact that you've got three star running. Jarquez Hunter very well might might be one of the top rushers in the history of Auburn when he's done. I mean, he's he's already on pace to average 1,000 yards this year. Or get a thousand yards this year. Who's that? So. The who'd you say? Jarvis Hunter, oh, okay, the guy sorry. who heard of the guy. Um, yeah, but nice. yeah, so I just think it's more because of the fact they know what their strength is because of their roster strength. But but, just... but then they're not even playing to that strength. It's like they they pick run when they should pick pass, and they pick they they pick pass when they should pick run. I think know? they were hoping the receiving core would materialize, and now they realize they didn't. But we'll see what they do in the next. I think LSU will be telling of where the offense is going. I think the only nope. We're talking Auburn football here on Compact Discourse. Don't go anywhere. We got a lot more to get to after a break, including what Chris was about to say. All right, you're listening to Compact Discourse. I got Daniel, I got Chris, and I got Alex. We got about 45 minutes left in the show, so don't go anywhere. Keep that dial right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. We'll be right back in about two minutes. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm Jack Hart, joined alongside Chris Tobias, Daniel Locke, and Alex Houston. We're talking Auburn football this fine Tuesday morning. We thank you for joining us. we got plenty to get to as Auburn was in a top 25 matchup on Saturday evening, as you may know. So, Usually we like to stay away from sports on a Tuesday, but there's a lot to get to, so we'll make a special exception for this Auburn Tigers team. I know we had a lot to get to before the break, so we'll just jump right back in with uh, with Chris, the receiving core. I'm going to turn your mic on. <laughs> um, what I was saying was I think Alex was saying that this is potentially the worst receiver core we've had in almost a decade I would say uh, I don't think you're wrong, but I also think that Saturday was a very difficult game, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt of that. And if they are 
bad. I got the Kobe Bryant mentality on that. You know, shooters keep shooting, baptism by fire. If they can't hang, we f- we'll find someone that can. And then you, you, you have to throw. You can't just run the ball. At least in today's game, I don't think you can do that anymore. Unless your name is Army or Air Force or Navy, you're not going to be running the ball 90% of the time. I don't say 90%. I just think they could run it 65% of the time. I don't know. Because then I also have doubts on the creativity of what type of runs we're doing. We're going to do slam it up the middle, toss it to the right, toss it to the left, slam it up the middle, left, right. I mean, I mean, okay, legitimately you said how Auburn couldn't be Army or Navy. Army and Navy run the triple option. Now, I'm not saying Auburn should run that necessarily because that'd be, <laughs> that'd be insane. But legitimately... Let Bo Nix run a little bit. No, I mean, no, legitimately, you've got you. I mean, if you put Hunter and Bigsby in the backfield and run a play where you're either reading it to Bigsby or pitching it to Hunter instead, I mean, that's two guys that. And we saw them run that type of play where uh, it ended up being like the trick play where then Hunter hurdled that guy, which was awesome. NCAA but, 14 run the triple option once or twice a game. Exactly, and it works every time in NCAA 14. So I think it could work here, especially if you have a guy like Bo Nix. I mean. Bo isn't the best at hanging on to the ball sometimes, but he can run. That's the whole reason we recruited him was because he was a scrambler. Auburn likes their scramblers. And Bo, Bo's legs did bail the offense out, I think, on two different occasions on yes. Saturday night. Yes, they did. So that was very clutch. The offensive line gave out, uh, and then Bo Nix was able to scramble like 12, 15 yards or something twice. He's underrated runner. I'll say that. I, I think I think you they should utilize the read option more. It's something that Auburn because it's something that Gus got afraid of after he realized he didn't have any other quarterbacks on the roster, and he was like, "We can't injure Bo because my backup is twenty eight year old Cord Sandberg who just got back from playing baseball, not which, focused, not having fun." No, that's Cord Sandberg. I think I, I don't know about that. I think there was like three, legitimately like three or four handoff plays that if they had read it to let Bo Nix take it, he could have ran easily like 20 yards. Exactly. So I think that's something they should also utilize more. That'll just change it up a bit. But my argument is with these three talented running backs and an offensive line that is clearly succeeding in run blocking a lot more than they have in the past, you don't really need creativity. Did you see any issue with um, the the backs not cutting up field? And, yes. And trying to run east-west? Uh, not for Tank, because Tank's never. I don't, Tank's always had probably better vision than... That's what makes him so dangerous, is the fact that he's stronger than everyone else, and he also has incredible vision. Um, I didn't really see that that much, at least on TV. But You could see it in the stadium. Uh, what's his name? The Dark backup. West. 27. Yeah, 27. There were a few occasions where if he had cut up field, he could have gained easily like another five or six I, yards. I don't doubt that. Uh, I, I'll chuck that up to being a freshman and you know still trying to learn the ropes and work the speed of college football, but... That's again. That's why you got tank, and you give it to him twenty five mm. times. I mean, trying trying to do too much on yeah. one play, and then you. I mean, when you have tank who can get four yards a carry, you don't exactly. really, you don't really need to worry about breaking a big tackle. Exactly. I mean, it's great when he does, but it's it's not in the front of your mind. Exactly. I mean, I, I didn't see it too much, but I'm sure again you guys had a different perspective than we did watching on TV. But I mean, I don't know. That just sometimes happens. Just. Too too much passing. I said it That's once. Yeah. I'll say it again. Like I'm sorry, Chris. I just I've <laughs> got to disagree with that. I, I, you're right. That is where the league is going, but it's not where it's at today. No. So for, for today, we just need to do what we're good at. 
it's not 1955 anymore. We can throw the ball, guys. I will say one thing about where the argument of where the league is going. So one of the arguments to the whole where the league is going idea is that if the league is moving somewhere, one team hangs back and sort of does the ops. For example, as leagues tend to move towards passing, defenses will adjust. The Derrick Browns of the world will, be, will go away for more D4 Jeff Holland-type defenders all across the line of scrimmage. Jeff Holland. Like, I mean, he was like... Throwback. <laughs> D Ford was a bigger throwback. But, like, you know, those smaller type outside linebacker pass rushers and smaller, quicker guys to counteract for the passing. And the idea is tank against those smaller units will be more dominant and running the football against those smaller units will work more. So that's another idea is that as the league sort of moves away from it, you know, running the ball can become more successful as the defenses get smaller and more athletic and not as Derrick Brown all across the line of scrimmage. Like, even Alabama themselves have moved away from that. They used to have Terrence Cody, who was literally nicknamed Mount Cody because he was massive. Now, players like that would not be seen on Alabama's defense at all. So, that's just another idea about it. But, who knows? Maybe the offense will dramatically change within two games. I think this next stretch against LSU and Georgia, we will see exactly what team Auburn's going to be for the rest two of the Two easy dubs. What? <laughs> two easy dubs. Knock on wood. I jinxed I said Georgia, State. not Georgia don't State. Do <laughs> I don't even want to talk about Georgia. I'm afraid of them. <laughs> I'm going to be completely... I'm not afraid of their offense. I am afraid of their defense very much so. Which is why you run the ball and don't let both throw it into triple coverage. We're, it doesn't matter if we run the ball. We're either going to throw eight pick, sixes, uh, eight pick sixes or fumble it ten times against that defense. They are... I mean, credit to them. They are... I hate Georgia, but... That team is scary right now. I think they're the best team in the country. And their offense, I said I'm not afraid of their offense. I'm kind of talking a big game right now. Their offense is just crazy fluid right now, too. So I think they have real potential, unfortunately, to go all the way. Uh, I'm I'm also pretty confident in the fact that they're going to be Georgia and then get pretty far and then heinously fumble the bag in an incredibly embarrassing way on the national stage, which I'm excited for that. I'm excited uh, for the Florida game. I will say the Florida Georgia game. Yes, Florida. I think that's going to be interesting. It's going to be very fun to watch Dan Mullen stick with Emory it, Jones. As we he haven't seen. We haven't seen, especially after last season. We have not seen Alabama get a real challenge in the regular season in a long time. Since the Iron Bowl in 2019, probably. That's correct. Yeah, because in their bowl game that year was domination. And then, uh, yeah, Florida. Florida had a Rocky Balboa against Apollo Creed and Rocky One types vibe going on you didn't know if the champ was going to go down they had a pretty good chance i think florida if they remain confident in themselves and they kind of keep that energy then i think that they'll be fine and they'll i think they'll be able to hang with georgia i w i would think that too except dan mullen is the coach so i don't believe it but i, I just you believe I, in kirby smart uh okay <laughs> actually i believe in kirby smart against everybody except alabama so yes gotta get gus malzahn he's the only one that can beat nick saban I mean, yeah. I at this, hope at not. The, at this, at this point, at this point, that I mean, get Hugh Freeze. Legitimately, legitimately, it took it took the greatest LSU team in the history of the planet to defeat Alabama by like four. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. Like LSU, as like you know, the rivalry finally mattered for one week, and now it's gone again. And I mean, it's the same thing with Georgia. Georgia has had everything. They have had, um, they have had Tua taking a sixteen-yard sack. They have had Tua getting benched for his backup, who was not good, 
against decent defenses. And even then, Kirby Smart's like, I just can't I just, can't find a way. I have to fake this punt. I have to. <laughs> Justin Fields is the man, except I'm going to start Jake Fromm the entire time he's there. And I think it's just it's funny. And at this point, like, Georgia will probably go 12-0. They'll probably beat Auburn by 40. Who even knows? Don't say that. When they play Alabama in the SC Championship game, doesn't matter if they're up 60 to nothing. They will find a way to lose that game because that's what Georgia does. That's what all Georgia and Atlanta-based sports teams go do. Go Braves. Like, it's just, it's just the reality at this point. It's tradition. Like, no matter if it's Mark Richt or Kirby Smart, Georgia doesn't do anything important since 1980, and I think that will continue this year. But maybe I'll be wrong because Alabama look. looks vulnerable. Maybe I'll be wrong, but it's going to be fun. We funny. say they look vulnerable, but they had a, a good fight with the number 11 team in the nation. Yeah, and I think, I think it's vulnerable on the road in one of the most hostile environments. It's vulnerable for Alabama standards who beat everyone by 20 last year. That's true. Last year they were really good. But they are missing, you know, I mean, they're – I think the offense took a step back, and the defense can no longer make, or the offense can no longer make up for the fact that Saban's had worse defenses as years have gone on. I don't even know who their quarterback is this year. Bryce Young. Okay, now I know. Now you do know. Yes. <laughs> All right, we're gonna hit a break, but we got a lot to talk about still on Compact Discourse. Don't go anywhere. Still plenty to talk about here with Chris Tobias, Daniel Locke, and Alex Houston. I'm your host, Jack Hart. Keep that dial right here on WEGL. 91.1 FM. We'll be back in about two minutes after this break. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston, Chris Tobias, and Daniel Locke. We've been talking Auburn football for the past hour, and we might just keep on rolling with that, although there are plenty of other things to talk about in the sports world, including MLB pennant chases heating up as we are approaching the final two weeks of the regular season, and a lot still to be decided as well as NBA is starting up next month with a lot of changes in the system there. Hockey is kicking off as well next month with a brand new team as we welcome the Seattle Kraken to the National Hockey League. So sports are about to get very interesting as we roll on. I know we've been talking about NFL as well. The Broncos have the chance to be probably the worst 3-0 and team of all time as they take on the New York Jets next week with already a 2-0 record. So, very exciting. Lots of sports storylines going on right now. How are we feeling about that? It's an exciting time. I missed I missed sports with crowds. It really makes it all a lot more enjoyable. Like, if that Auburn-Penn State game was without the Penn State crowd, that would have just been very... Uh, just different. Different environment. I think that the post-COVID year is... Um, or the post-COVID sports year, I guess, is proving to be just as great as we thought it would be after a year of having fans away now that they're back sports decided to just go crazy we've already had some pretty great upsets 
some pretty unexpected wins and some uh, uh, some I guess comeback players whatnot storylines to follow. Good year. Go ahead. It's just really, like y'all were saying, it's just great to have people back in stands, staring at a cardboard cutout and advertisement. Advertisement is just not the same. And you can try to justify it, like, uh, just think of a game when not a lot of people showed up and just compare it to that. But it's just, it's not, it doesn't work like that. We're not all Jags fans. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit is the sweetest fruit of them all. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just think it's really exciting, and I think, you know, even without it, this year is already looking, you know, looking ahead at the college ball playoff landscape and a lot of the teams that could potentially be undefeated and the chaos that will ensue. It's going to be a fun year, a lot of fun teams, you know. Iowa's looking like one of those Iowa teams that's going to go 11-1 and and beat a top-ranked team at Kinnick Stadium, which is always so much fun when that happens, and... When Penn State goes to Iowa City to take on uh, the Hawkeyes, which is going to be the college game day environment, that's going to be—I mean—that's going to make it all worth it. Because I don't—I don't know about you guys, but the games that Iowa gets at home against the likes of Ohio State and Penn State, those games are the most fun to watch for me of any that are not Auburn games, just because that environment is so next level. And that, like you know, where the whiteout is a great environment. They don't have the greatest record in the whiteout, being only 9-8 and eight right now, which is not an indictment on the whiteout. I think it's still great. But, like, with Iowa, they legitimately knock off top-ranked teams oh, all the time. Iowa, it's reached mythical status at this point. Iowa is where ranked teams go to die. Exactly. It's like, crazy. It, it is on the level of Death Valley at night, essentially, and I think that's just what makes it so special is that they legitimately are that much better at home. Like, it's not some sort of, you know, it's not some sort of, oh, that must – I don't know. It's I, just I'm excited, especially we've been talking college football this whole time. It's because college football is the greatest sport in the world. But I think that um, I'm excited because I think this is genuinely the first year in a minute where we'll see a different college football playoff. I mean, yeah, I think it's safe to – I think if we're just looking at right now, like the results of last Saturday, I think it's safe to say that Alabama and Georgia will probably be, the, be in there. It's just – Two SEC teams, two of the best teams in the nation. But as far as the other two, at this rate, there's no way Clemson is anywhere near the top five. Yeah. There's no way Ohio State is anywhere near the top five. So that leaves two wide open spaces for two, you know, completely different teams to just yeah. come in. I'm, I'm already, we're already looking at Iowa. You know, if Penn State can continue to be dominant, mm-hmm. they're, they're looking at maybe getting in there. Um, Maybe we'll see some from the Pac-12. Oregon, maybe maybe yeah. Oregon. Maybe Oregon will finally uh, be back. You know, and I think it's just exciting. And then on top of that, the you know ten to twenty range ranked teams are also going to be fluctuating a lot. I think anything past the top two can be anything at this point, and I'm yeah. really excited for that. And like, I mean, even if even if um, even if Ohio State wants to get back in, their path leads them to a home contest against Penn State and then likely playing a Wisconsin or Iowa in the Big Ten Championship And game. a good Michigan team. Exactly. Which I believe that one, that game is in Ann Arbor this year, which it'll be a raucous environment Maybe if it is. Maybe Big Blue will I mean, be in the playoffs. How long has it been since uh, Michigan beat Ohio State? Um, It's not been since like 2005. Let me look up the history right now. But yeah, I don't think no. it's that long. I think it is like 2011 or 12 or something, though. No, because Brady Hoke never beat them. And that was the Brady Hoke era was 2011. I'm going to look it up again, and I'll I'll let you guys know. But, yeah, 
Michigan, Ohio State will be in Ann Arbor in one of the best environments in college football at the big house, the biggest, one of the biggest stadiums on the planet. And, I mean, if Mi- Michigan's road is not going to be easy, but no matter what, they're going to be hyped for that game. They always are. They look I mean, great this year. They, and even I remember the 2013 year when we were at the Iron Bowl and simultaneously Michigan, a bad Michigan team is playing Ohio State, taking them to the wire. Ohio State was third in the country, and they took them to the wire that time. So I just think that's going to be – it's just a lot of exciting games this year, and it's going to be a fun year. An- another team that is unexpectedly looking really good is um, Michigan State. Where's that coming from? I yeah. think that they've been playing well. Is that coming from playing Miami, or okay. are they actually good? That's a good That's point. That's a good point. Who That's, knows? So I've got, um, by the way, I've got the uh, official. So you're right, actually. They did win in 2011. I'd forgotten about that. But the issue was they've only won twice since 2001. Also, uh, another team that I think will be out of the top five by the end of the year. Maybe I'm wrong. This is probably going to come back to bite me, but I think that uh, a hot take that I will take at this point in the season is that Oklahoma will not be in the top four. Yeah. I don't think they'll survive. I mean, they barely survived this gauntlet, let alone the Big 12 gauntlet. I mean, one of those teams. Whether I mean, it's- they made Tulane look pretty good, and then Ole Miss comes out and hangs 60 on them. Yeah. So I thought Tulane was just scrappy like they have been in the past, but I don't think – I just I just think this Oklahoma team yeah. is struggling on I mean, offense. Maybe they- Ole Miss comes in and, and shock, upsets some people say, in the SEC. Um, what do you think the odds are of – it's in um, Bryant Denny, right? That game in two weeks. Yes. I uh, never mind. Okay. It, yeah, no, it's it's not in Oxford. Which I, I'm maybe. Not, I'm maybe. not even going to entertain the thought. So, but even building off that Oklahoma point, Oklahoma just some of the games they've got. They've got to travel to Kansas State, which the last time they traveled to Kansas State, they lost. Yes. For for reference. Okay. And they've got to travel to Baylor. Baylor hostile environment. Baylor's looking pretty decent this year. They get Iowa State at home, but then they're traveling to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. And you know Gundy is always going to put up 60 on Oklahoma. He's not always going to win. In fact, he doesn't win often. But that game is going to be as intense as it is every year. Yeah, I don't think Oklahoma's making it. I just think there's too many landmines. Cincinnati Bearcats in the playoffs? Question mark. If they beat Notre Dame, they very likely will be in. If they win out the rest of the way. I mean, the rest of their season is kind of... Mm, but maybe they might. But I mean, at Clemson's is too. Clemson doesn't play another good team the rest of the season. That's true. If if it, they continue to struggle, if whoever Clemson meet, I I if this Clemson offense continues to be as bad as it is with how good Sam Howell and North Carolina looked yeah. on Saturday, North Carolina went to the ACC championship by thirty. And even even if, even if they don't, I think if Clemson continues to struggle, they need to start beating these bad teams by seventy. To, to look convincing. Back, back like they did with Deshaun Watson. Exactly. They, they need to start laying 60 on Syracuse in the Carrier Dome, which is what they did. You know, dropping 90 on Miami, or 50, no, 90, 59 on Miami. My mistake, not 90, obviously. But, and the fact is, I mean, at the end of the day, Cincinnati is essentially the same team they were last year. They could have that win over Notre Dame. They competed with Georgia very well in the, in the uh, Peach Bowl last year. Very close. And they were winning up until the, the final minutes of that game. I mean... I think if you don't put Cincinnati in, they they there's no way I would put Clemson above Cincinnati if Cincinnati's undefeated by the end of the year. Especially if they go into South Bend and beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame is not a good team this year, but people don't win in South Bend often. That's this Saturday, isn't it? And next Saturday, actually. It's, it, next Saturday is the craziest Saturday. In this Saturday, they're playing with, Notre Dame's playing Wisconsin at Soldier Field. Ah. I'm a little disappointed now that I'm going to the Auburn LSU game because don't get me wrong, it's so much fun to go to games, but you're so isolated from the yeah. outside world because mm-hmm. cell reception is not great. The only thing you can rely on is looking at the um, scores yeah. in the stadium, and this is 
Uh, this is not the Saturday to travel. The one weekend, the one thing I'm thankful about the 8, 8 p.m. kickoff is that my dad and I, who he's going with me to Baton Rouge, we're going to definitely go to some sports bar in Baton Rouge and watch the Notre Dame and Alabama Ole Miss games. Because I mean, because my dad's a huge Notre Dame fan already, and that's going to be, I think, a great game regardless. And then, of course, I want to see if Matt Corral's legit if he's going to throw six picks against Alabama. I so. think Jack and I will probably do the same. Yeah, I, mean, I want to see. Uh... I want to see the new stadium in Birmingham on TV as UAB plays their first home game. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. But yeah, good story with them. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's really cool. So Saturday, October second. Circle that one on your calendars. It is going to be the most legendary day of college football in recent memory. Yeah. It's going to be. Um, there's a lot going on that you are not going to want to miss. We're going to head to our break just a little bit early, so we can extend this last segment just a little bit. You are listening to compact discourse right here on wegl 91.1 fm we got chris we got daniel we got alex we're hanging out with you for about 15 more minutes till 10 a.m don't go anywhere we'll be right back after these messages you're listening to compact discourse on wegl 91.1 fm Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston and Chris Tobias. Daniel Locke joining us as well for this final segment of the Tuesday edition of Compact Discourse. It is 9.46 in the morning. Thank you for joining us and spending your morning with us here on Compact Discourse. Let's head on over to your Auburn, Alabama weather report for those of you listening locally. It is 76 degrees and cloudy this morning. Uh, we got a 10% chance of rain presently. Uh, that increases to an 18% chance of rain as we move on into the afternoon. It's also going to get a little bit hotter getting up to the mid-80s. This evening, your overnight temp is going to be 72 degrees with a 32% chance of rain. So plan accordingly if you are here hanging out with us in the Auburn Opelika Megaplex. All right. Over the break, we were talking about what a weekend we are in. St- we have in store for us. Not this weekend when Auburn takes on Georgia State for homecoming, which we are looking forward to, of course. But the weekend after that, when Auburn plays a night game in Death Valley for the first time since 2013, maybe? Yes, that was the last time. And the last time that happened, Auburn was down 21 nothing at halftime. Yes, but they came back and made they it close did. and went to the national championship. That's so, true. Uh we're looking. We're at excited about October second, a red letter day in the college football world. This weekend, a bit lackluster, I will admit, but that's okay because it makes up for it. Because just glue yourself to your TV I mean, on October second. We get two good weeks of college football in a row. I'm looking at the schedule now, and because we're getting into conference play, week six, October second, uh, immediately followed by October 9th. I think we're getting some pretty good. Uh, matchups, more ranked teams on October second, so that's the bigger one. But I think that we could potentially see some upsets on October 9th, uh, The Red River rivalry, Oklahoma and Texas play that week, and then a uh, a massive powerhouse bout with Penn State and Iowa on October 9th. I, I think we're getting, or and then Arkansas, Mississippi, Georgia, Auburn. I mean, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I think that the next after this week, the two weeks of college football could have the potential to be legendary if we see some upsets um, and some teams 
fighting it out. And certainly legendary within the rankings. I mean, Arkansas has a pivotal two weeks there where, I mean, if they can find a way to beat Georgia, I don't think they will, but, I mean, if they can find a way to beat Georgia, Arkansas will be in the top ten. Jack, say what you said about Arkansas during the break. I think Arkansas is good, and I think they're very scary, and I'm really nervous that I don't know how good they are yet. They... I mean, I think we're going to find out uh, on the second one. They Actually, showed no, a lot they're of, playing A&M this Saturday. They showed we'll a lot of promise last year is what I'll say. And if it weren't for a certain Bo Nix spike, um, they would have handed the Tigers a loss in Jordan Hare last year. So, I mean, they've got A&M this weekend, Georgia, Ole Miss, and Auburn. So this is the stretch that matters for them because this stretch could get them a playoff appearance regardless of what happens against Alabama on November 20th. Arkansas and Ole Miss are two SEC teams that could potentially find themselves in the college football playoffs if they pull off a pretty immaculate um, um, win over. Somebody. Exactly. I mean, that's what we saw in 2014 when Alabama beat or Ole Miss beat Alabama at home, and then it was Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Auburn in the top four. Crazy, the craziest. <laughs> which is where everybody got ho- high hopes for the college football playoff, and then it was just Clemson and Alabama for the next six years, and everyone's like, "Wait a minute, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. Maybe we need to expand." But um, that was a fun, that was a great first year. But yeah, this is exciting times for college football and the SEC in general. You know, a lot of people will use the statement, when blank is good, college football is good or whatever. And they use that about teams like Texas, which I hate because I don't, SEC. I don't like like that. But I think when just a lot of teams are good to where it creates parity and where you don't know what's going to happen, that's what's good for college football. Not Texas being good. I don't care about Texas. I could care less about Good take. About the University of Michigan. Like, no, like, everyone's like, the Blue Bloods are back. And the Blue, like, I saw one dude unironically say Blue Bloods being good is what's good for college football, which is incorrect, in my opinion. Because nobody cares about Michigan beating Indiana by 40. Blue Bloods being good and then proceeding to lose to non Blue Bloods. Exactly. What makes college football good. But a prerequisite of that is that you need the Blue Bloods to be good. It's nice to see. The Michigan State helmet in the top five, as opposed to yes. uh, Ohio State. You know, it's nice to see the Auburn AU in the top four instead of the Alabama A. You know, exactly. That's what makes college football fun. Those borderline teams getting past the 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 big opponent and then making it into greatness. Exactly. Like I have no problem with AM being in the top ten right now because they'll inevitably get beat by somebody. And if Arkansas is the team that rockets into the top ten off a defeat of Texas A&M in AT and T Stadium, that'd be awesome. You know, if When's the last time we saw a top ten Arkansas team? Would that be two thousand seven? No, no, I, they, I think they got in the Sam top Bradford? ten. Sam Bradford? No, no, no. I think they got in the top ten. Let me let me go look it up. Right Darren now. McFadden. Did you say Sam Bradford? Wait, he played for Oklahoma. Yes, right? he did. Sorry, they wear red. They looked their uniforms are the That's same. Fair. One That's of them fair. has a pig. The other one. Um, has a I would say <laughs> the last time was two thousand eleven. Bobby Petrino. Also two thousand ten. Legendary. But two thousand eleven, they were eleven and two. Two thousand ten. So. Auburn put 60 on them. That's so. true, but they put like 40 on Auburn, so. Doesn't matter. Still Doesn't matter. Okay, Don't we're... care. <laughs> right. Yes. We do not care. But yeah, 2011, they finished ranked fifth. So there's that. Wow. I'm, I'm getting really giddy thinking about college football this year. It's an exciting time. And I think, yeah, I think that, uh, like, I think Clemson being good these past few years will be worth it when an ACC team knocks them off, too. So. UNC coming like, in hot. Like, I'm trying to go, look at. Go Gamecocks. South Carolina pulling up the upset? No way. Shout out to my cousins at USC, you know. But like I'm looking I'm, I'm pulling up their schedule right now and I'm trying to see if they I have looked any at it yesterday and it was I mean it's bad but like is there a team on the road that like uh, Virginia? 
because Virginia is not necessarily a great team, but their home atmosphere is really cool. Their stadium is really, really cool. I recommend anybody like watch Virginia games because it's just a really cool environment in general. But they uh, play at Louisville on the sixth of November. Okay, like Louisville looked okay against. They got UCF. Pitt. Pitt on the road could oh, be a that problem. Could, that could be a good one. NC State maybe. I don't know. We thought NC State was going to be good. They was aren't. that Clemson? Yes. Yeah. Pitt and NC State on the road. Problem is like they don't. They don't run into a Virginia or a Tech. Like, they're not playing at Lane Stadium. If they were playing on the road at Lane Stadium at night, yeah, I'd pick Tech by 40 legitimately. They'll because get Sandman. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm just saying, man, the Gamecocks, they're in, they're in South Carolina this year. And the Gamecocks are an SEC team. They're not, they have not historically been too good uh, since when? Uh, like 2012? Yeah. Something the like that. Jadavion Clowney years. But yeah. it's one of those Auburn Alabama situations where I think that if any team can give them some some heckleness, it'll be this year's South Carolina team. Maybe. I don't know. I'm maybe has some South Carolina bias, but I think that that could be a, a team or a game to look out for towards the end of the season. Certainly. I, as it is, it is on the road. So I mean, And Clemson looks price. like dog, hot dog water right now. Yeah, so. that, that's a good point. That's a good point. It's just, man, this is going to be a fun year. I'm excited. I don't know about you guys. I'm just, yeah. I, think it's I don't know. Be, I don't think we're very excited either. Uh-huh, that's very funny. I have a very um, lukewarm reaction to oh this upcoming gosh, slate of whatever. games. Can we get but a yeah. Heisman pick from everybody? Ooh. Ooh. That's difficult Ooh. because. That's hard. They're everyone who they thought was going to be good is not. They've played cupcakes so far. Um, Can I go? While you are thinking. Go yeah, ahead. go. I want to say Bryce Young, but I'm not going to do that. Um, dang, I'm not even ready. I thought I was. You know what? I'm going to be a homer. Let's go tank. No, no, he's not. I'm sorry, he's not going to. If any time he's, if there was any chance he was going to win, it's going to be next year. It's funny. I'm I'm looking at the preseason rankings for Heisman, and at the top we have Spencer Rattler. Nope. No way. Uh, number two, we have no DJ Uigalele no from Clemson. No way. Sam Howell from North Carolina. No way. Maybe. Bryce Young from Alabama. Maybe. Matt Coral from Ole Miss. Oh, Matt Coral. I yeah. think that that's a fair assessment. At least right now, he went. I know that they, they didn't play a great team last week, but the fact that he threw for what was it, like 250 with like another 100 on the ground. He's got something. the Katy Perry endorsement, too. They had De'Eric King from Miami at number six. Come on. It, it's Miami. And then Bijan Robinson from Texas was number seven. Number oh, I accidentally swiped. Number eight is C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. I don't think that's happening. Number nine, Brees Hall from Iowa State. Uh, I, I no, not happening. And then number ten is Kayvon Thibodeau. 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 <laughs> Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Ix. Oregon. So. <laughs> What is that? Eight out of the top ten preseason rankings that there's no way that's gonna happen? Okay. All right. Sam Howell had a bad game against Virginia Tech. You can't have bad games if you're gonna win the Heisman. Not true. I think that he's 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 bouncing back. He'll 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 be uh, he'll be in New York, I think. He threw five touchdowns against UVA and three touchdowns against Georgia State. That's fair. You can make people get amnesia. He had a he had a pl- he had a 90 plus QBR in both of those games. I think he it was Lane Stadium was one of the most raucous scenes I've ever seen that opening Friday night just because it was the first uh game back for for the Hokies, but I think he's going to settle in. UNC is going to have a good schedule and UNC is going to walk away with that division in well Okay. They do have a loss to Virginia Tech, who's the only team that could challenge them. But I think Virginia Tech will rack up a couple of losses uh, before this season. If they is run, over. The, if they run the table, I think they could. 
I I think I think Sam Howell will will be up there just for his passing touchdown totals alone. I'm just saying the league the league leader or like the NCAA leader in passing yards right now is Fresno State's quarterback. And he's doing it with 76% completion percentage as well. He's not going to win it, but Bring he very likely could get an Fresno State dark horse. He's not going to win it, but he very he very likely could be did, invited. Did either of the Carr brothers win a Heisman? No, 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 they did not. Um, so it's very unlikely again. UBU, but, but he very <laughs> likely could win a uh, an invitation yeah, because they're already ra- they're already ranked in the top twenty five, and the rest of their schedule is cupcakes. They will ver- they will very likely be eleven and one. I, th- I think that Fresno State can be found in a good bowl game this year. I don't yes. think they crack uh, New, New Year's yes, six. Bowl? Maybe they do. Maybe <laughs> if they <laughs> are blowing out their opponents, the <laughs> the <laughs> college football gods grant them the opportunity to beat a team like I don't know, maybe Texas A and M or. If uh, if the top rest of the top twenty five continues to be as not bad but inconsistent, but lose, yes. continue to lose games. Like if we have like a three loss top per team in the top five come seasons in, I think there's a very good chance that an eleven and one Fresno State hits the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, I think it also depends on what happens with Cincinnati. If Cincinnati runs the table and gets shoved into the playoff, well, the, yeah, they could get put in the spot. top top four. And here's a team we haven't mentioned at all this show. Surprisingly, is Coastal Carolina. Yeah, yes. remains undefeated. They're so oh my but god, they're, they're so much fun. It's it's the it's the conundrum of being in a, a lesser division. They I mean they they're playing cupcakes. They're in they the can, worst conference in college. If they can blow them out of the water, I mean they show, I think they showed last year that they can hang with the big dogs. Um, you know they beat BYU, who was considered for whatever reason last year. They just decided to get really good, and then this year they're kind of keeping that going. So maybe. Maybe even Brigham Young is going to be in the New Year's Six Bowl. I, I don't know. And one team we're not even discussing right now is also, you know, Liberty is probably going to run the table again. The, uh, Liberty actually has a road matchup against Ole Miss, which... If they get the upset... The Hugh, the Hugh Freeze Bowl? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I didn't <laughs> Malik, even think about Malik that. Willis? They need um, to put that on a shirt. But, yeah, so that, like, there's a lot of interesting teams. Because the one thing I, I didn't like about last year is they put... Coastal Carolina and Liberty in a bowl game against each other, which I disliked. Yes. I'd rather see them go against the Power Five and see if Coastal Carolina's offense, which is the most unique thing I've seen in college football in a long time, see how they could do it against a big team. And that annoyed me. They're fun, it was still a great matchup. Yeah, and they're, they're and they're not annoying like UCF was a few years ago. Exactly. They're just living <laughs> life, enjoying it with the Chanticleers and the turquoise field. Their, I love co- it. their coach was, I love was it. dressing up like a pro wrestler and drop kicking an eagle. It was Josh. awesome. <laughs> Wait, what? Josh Norman alumni. I'll, I'll, we'll take it offline. Fair. All right. Unless you guys have any closing thoughts about college football for this exciting episode of Compact Discourse, that is going to just about do it. No episode of Cheetah Print tomorrow because Auburn Volleyball is playing. So good luck to the ladies. SEC play begins, right? Uh, I'm not. I think that's true. I think we played Ole Miss. Guy. Yes, it is because tomorrow's yeah 22nd. Yeah, Ole Miss 22nd. undefeated. Ole Miss undefeated. Um, Auburn has lost n- not at all. They're still undefeated as well. Uh, no, they they set. lost once oh. this past weekend. Actually, they lost okay. to uh, Florida A&M in five close sets. All right, noted. So that uh, right here on WEGL, you can listen to that one tomorrow evening. Uh, Woodstock Hour will also be not happening as well, but. You can get your daily dose of DJP to on tomorrow's show. He'll be joining us for the second hour, and then he'll be DJing the live music radio from 10 to noon after the show. So keep the dial right here on WEGL tomorrow for that one. Alex, thank you for joining me. Chris, 
We love Tuesdays here on Compact Discourse. And Daniel, thank you for coming in as well. We had a fun time today. Yep. Definitely. Looking forward to doing it again. Very love fun. college football. All right. We'll be Where back you? tomorrow at 8 a.m. Thank you so much for listening to this exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. However you joined us today, whether that be from your radio antenna, WEGLFM.com, or by listening to our podcast, we would like to remind you that all of our previous episodes are available as a podcast commercial-free. Wherever you get your podcast, just search for Compact Discourse. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at CDISCAU, that's C-D-I-S-C-A-U, for links to the podcast, important information about the show, and updates. You can also get your voice on the show by tweeting at us. We are Auburn's only student-run morning show. You might want to follow WEGL on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at WEGL underscore AU. Our dedicated team of marketing professionals are working super hard to bring you great content. All right, and with that, that's going to do it for Tuesday's show. We'll be back at 8 a.m. on tomorrow, Wednesday. We'll talk at you then. This is Jack Hart for Alex, Chris, and Daniel. We'll see you next time. Go 1-0 and War Eagle. Charge!